Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan, with guest co-hosts, 70. You broke the prof- you broke the- the- the thing. Yep, broken. Irreparably damaged. Hello, welcome to Polycast episode 48. I am SimMD, and I'm joined by Canon's Albinus. COVID can't keep me down. Makalua? I don't know, lack of sleep might keep you down sometime. And Mega Pearspan. Hello, everyone. Well, that was boring. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he, he's in West Coast time and he's thinking, wow, she's complaining about lack of sleep. Look how early I got up. It's, a, it's only nine o'clock. You should be up by then. Nine o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, that's that's the part. Anyway, we're trying something new. Let's talk about Civ spinoff games before we even get started with the show. Joke, joke opinions go. Are they actually going to make the fighting game they tease that April Fool's? Uh, ye- I hope so. Uh, you know, uh, Civilization Extreme Diplomacy. Yes, Extreme Diplomacy. How to can somebody else? I don't know. <laughs> well, there was there was good old George Washington's Uncle Slam, but I say I see. I can't remember the names now. Ah. It was like if you go back and look at the image, it's like a postage stamp, so you can barely tell what everything said. But I kind of want a game where you are building an individual city, and I know they did that with Civ City Rome, but that was like fifteen years ago, so. I had completely forgotten that existed. I don't. City builders have kind of come back because of skylines, so you know. And historic city builders are like all the rage right now after uh, Banished on um, Steam. Mm, yeah, because there's like what Songs of Six, uh, Banished one. There's something similar to Banished. Well, there's I mean, also there's, there's just the ones yeah. on my wish list. There's Foundation, Settlement Survival. I just saw a new one called Land of the Vikings. Uh, and, and specifically, it's these survival city builders where, like, they have, like, the harsh winters and mm-hmm. stuff like that where, you know, your your people gotta, you know, be fed and kept warm and stuff like that or else they all start dying. Those are all the rage on Steam right now. It's a void Frostpunk with its child labor. Oh, uh, In-game or in real life? Like, in-game, you can literally <laughs> okay. set the- you can set the city to be only children work, which is, uh, great. <sighs> wow. I mean, yes, they're surviving in a strange frozen climate, but wow. Pretty bad. You're not supposed to do that, obviously, but you can. Yep, and there's sci-fi city builders, and then we even have prehistoric ones like uh, Dawn of Man, the Paleolithic city builder. We even have one that's, that's entirely based on beavers. Oh, yeah. Like anthropomorphized beavers, or like you're literally beavers like building dams and stuff? You're literally beavers building a city. Do you know what uh, Perfect Bidoof is? Say again? Perfect Bidoof. So Bidoof is a Pokemon that's uh, usually useless, but the fan art it depicts him as like the extremely muscular man, and it's all golden. So I'm imagining this like extremely muscular uh, David statue-looking beaver building things, running around the map. That's going to be glorious. Well, but it's a Civ spinoff, so he's also wearing like Roman Legion armor. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's it's a regular Civ game, but instead of it being Civ, instead of it being humans, it's all beavers. It's all beavers. And then uh, somebody's going to make a mod and the, uh, the scout is going to look like Justin Bieber. No. Uh, hey, we can, take we-, the, 
we can take the animal theming all over the place. We could do like Civ Beehive Simulator, Civ Ant Colony. I think Sim Ant already exists. Not Sim Ant, Civ Ant. Hmm. So do you, you have like red ants uh, different from like other kinds of ants, I guess? They have their own bonuses, I'm assuming. You have to fight all the ant mimics. Ah. Or for like a more of a serious uh, idea, how about like uh, Lord of the Rings or um, like Skyrim breezes? How many would have the uh, 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 quote historic uh, Tamriel map that you'd fight on? Yeah, that would be great. I'm just imagining. Oh, we're gonna play Skyrim on a Civ map. So uh, here's Rome, and if you look over there and you turn off and turn up the render distance, you can see London, and uh, there's Beijing. On the other side of the mountain, if you can, you know, ec- uh, no clip through it. And then up on the very top, there's Denver, because America settled su- two cities somehow. Oh. I was going to say, if we're going to do it as the Tamriel map, I'm going to take the Khajiit and take over everything and kick the Imperials back to Atmora. They have, kick like, the a special, like, a commercial hub, because, you know, they have wares or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Khajiit has many wares. Oh man, don't get me started. I could probably sit here and riff off of an Elder Scrolls Civ thing. Ah! And that's how Mackie became a modder. <laughs> Take it to the modding community, Mackie. <sighs> Surprise it hasn't happened already. It probably has, and we just don't know about it. So, kind of a Civ spinoff, but not quite really. We also have some news about uh, Humankind, you know, that other game that's like Civ, uh, but, you know, in this case, actually exists. Uh, Apparently, they've announced a new expansion, uh, which is due out, um, I don't know, is there a release date? Fall 2022. There we go, yeah. Okay, so in the next few months, a new Humankind expansion. It is titled Together We Rule. And uh, it looks like it's bringing in a lot of ideas uh, that we have seen in, in civilization uh, geared towards diplomacy and uh, international cooperation. Uh, looks like we've got like spies and diplomat units, uh, some kind of new diplomatic uh, like resource, I guess. That's probably similar to Civ's diplomatic favor, uh, some kind of world congress, embassies, uh, and the interesting things that I'm seeing in this um, the Fanatics topic that was posted about it was the idea of third-party reinforcements where apparently if I'm understanding this correctly you can temporarily give your units to another culture for them to use in joint warfare. So kind of similar to how in Civ you can buy uh, the units from suzerain city-states except in this case it might actually be from other like full Civ cultures. Uh, so that could be a pretty neat ability that could make cooperative warfare uh, much more worthwhile and viable compared to, you know, Civ, where it's like we declare a joint war and then I just have to hope maybe someday my AI ally will actually send some dang units to the front and do something. I mean, I'll have to see it to believe it. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would rather have some kind of like military like planning ability where like you can ping certain locations or units or cities and and the ai will attack preferentially attack those 
uh, or like you can negotiate with them to, you know, attack or defend certain places uh, as opposed to just flat out taking control of their units. But I, I don't know, maybe the AI tech just isn't there for that sort of thing, or maybe that's a UI nightmare. Uh, I don't know, but you know, better than nothing, I guess, at least my allies units will be at the front doing something, even if they are my basically under my control. And adding some new cultures too. Switch into the Scots and do the whole Highlander that can be only one and take over the map. And still lose. Yeah, because points, apparently. I'm sorry, Mr. Scotsman, you lost to the Singaporean, even though they have almost no land to grow their own food. They built some stuff really early on and banked some points, and so, yep, you lose. Singaporeans. What are their, like, what are their special abilities? Who knows? Are they, like, oh, it's not actually, uh, okay, it's not actually released yet. No, they haven't told us what any of the abilities are. They haven't mm -hmm. uh, told us any of the actual details about any of this stuff. If their uh, promotional strategy is anything like what Firaxis has done with Civ, I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, gradually announce, you know, the individual cultures and show previews and stuff for them, uh, you know, like maybe once every couple weeks. But it's a completely different studio, so who knows how they'll promote it. I mean... At least they're doing better than City Skylines, where they basically announce a new uh, expansion pack like two weeks before it goes live on Steam. Oh, I don't mind that. Actually, but no, yeah. because cause then you don't have that long extended period of hype, and then by the time it gets there, everybody's like, oh, you know? Yeah, but at the sp on the other end of that same, you know, double-bladed sword, there is the, oh my gosh, I had so many other games that I was planning on playing. Why did you throw a wrench in everything? <laughs> <laughs> because it's city skylines and every time a new expansion comes out it's like dang it there's gonna go another hundred hours of my time okay it's time to talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode uh, CivMD here has written a, uh, what is this, 28-page guide to Domination Victory, which uh, I've read uh, probably 20 pages of it. It is quite a piece of work. Yeah, somebody was talking about spending 100 hours on the game. Uh, it's, uh, it's, that, that, that's, uh, it, it took the, it took uh, some time, but, uh, well, it's, uh, so what did you think about it? I did not realize that religion was as strong a thing to do as it seems to be, according to this. Um, no, seriously, the I, uh, probably the most useful part of that guide is uh, trying to explain how religion can support a domination game in most cases and so well, and why it's uh, currently broken, and I love it. And uh, there are no intentions uh, for anything to be fixed in the game at this point. I'm not sure I would even call it broken. Because you can just as easily counter something like that if you know it's coming. I mean, it does uh, rely on work ethics, but the guide depends on... Uh, assumes that you're playing single player. And the devs have uh, graciously granted uh, us that the... AIs really don't go for work ethics, which is clearly the best. So we've got the general strategy part. Uh, I did not realize that units were as much more expensive in Civ 6 as they seem to be, but uh, they seem to grow exponentially in cost. Um, I mean, I subconsciously 
knew it because every time I would, you know, actually try to build like a Renaissance or industrial unit, I'd be like, my God, this is expensive. But uh, yeah, I never actually plotted out the uh, the cost compared to previous Civ games and uh, actually looked at the numbers. Yeah, so I started playing Civ uh, when it was Civ 5. And I learned a lot from like Filthy Robot and uh, people like that. And uh, back in Civ 5, the general strategy was to go for uh, one or two million units plus a uh, crossbow uh, rush. Back then, as you know, the range units were a little bit overpowered, and uh, they didn't get, uh, uh, they had just as much effectiveness against city walls compared to uh, units. And the strategy to get um, crossbows quickly, as soon as it hits, is to pre-build so many composite boatmen, and then you rush down uh, with your uh, crossbows. And you, you see, you try to do the same thing. But it's even more effective because the the well, later units actually require even more production because the uh, with the introduction of uh, districts in Civ Six, uh, the, the people are assuming that you are developing your city well. So it uh, they just went really up on the production costs like uh, as your eras just progress. So it was also a, a conscious design philosophy to try to limit the number of units that are on the map because one of the big complaints with Civ Five was those carpets of doom and uh, unit congestion. So there's right. several overlapping design philosophies in Civ Six that were like, let's limit the number of units. One of them is their build cost. Another one is the addition of the um, uh, cores and armies and that sort of thing. Absolutely. But now you can just uh, get past that and. Uh, and uh, be just as effective, because uh, you should be doing that like all the time. You should be pre-building your uh, classical era units and carry it all the way over modern eras. Yeah, one of the um, big things that's always considered like a detriment to um, certain civs that have unique units is if they cannot be upgraded into. I know that's always like a big hit to a. Uh, a civ or a leader on a lot of people's like tier charts and stuff like that. If you can't upgrade into their unit, they get like knocked down a tier. Yep. But uh, now, except for the Malone Riders of the Mapuche, pretty much everything can be upgraded. So France, in my opinion, for example, and uh, England in terms of domination just went up in terms of uh, viability so much more because now you can upgrade uh, your musketmen to uh, red goats and that's a huge power spike and also uh for the Nor norwegians the the berserkers now upgrade from swordsmen and uh, going from a 36 uh, power unit to a 50 essentially what is a 55 unit at the cost of just 150 gold for that upgrade it's a huge power spike when i played norway especially on the land map i would start attacking almost when I have the, um, almost I'm done with unlocking the Berserkers, and the Russian with the Swordsman, and uh, pillage a few mines, get the money and the science at the same time, you hit um, the Berserkers, and then upgrade, and then um, roll everything down. That saves a lot of time, and uh, uh, the Norwegians are just so good right now, and uh, everybody should uh, actually try them. The Berserker unit especially has the uh, 5 uh, combat strength penalty when you're defending, except that you can nullify that by having a great general. 
So it's not even a penalty anymore, really. It's it's uh it's just it, it, yeah everybody everybody should play the, the the Vikings. Seems like that's an unpopular opinion right now. Yeah, and uh, just uh, um, let's see. And the other um, thing I wanted to like people don't build encampments uh, for some reason, which uh, bothers me a little bit. Especially even like these, uh, even fifth YouTubers sometimes uh, just skip building encampments. Um, great generals are very, very, very important. So just like like in any game, having more units be a screw. Like if you play Smash, like if you like if you can like for example jump cancel, you can uh, put in more units. And uh, just um, speed is everything, really. Especially in domination, because if you rush in faster with your units, um, you can you can attack more times within the same number of turns, and also your enemy doesn't have time to actually uh, build up a defense. And also, great generals are almost like a requirement if you want to use any siege units in a serious way, because when you have the plus one movement, then you can act, you don't have to waste a turn setting it up. Because setting up uh, takes uh, two movements, right? So uh, one movement, right? So you move in, uh, set up immediately, and then uh, you can um, attack. And uh, that uh, protects your siege units a lot because your uh, siege units can be uh, pretty flimsy. Um, it can, uh, city bombardments can absolutely destroy them for, uh, pretty quickly. So um, if you move in and shoot, then uh, you, uh, you can deplete the walls quickly. So that the wall, the the city bombardments uh, is no longer a factor. So and, that's uh, the mm -hmm. the, um, the general movement bonus is particularly good just for ranged units in general because you get to move onto rough terrain and then still have a movement point or even half a movement point left over to fire or attack. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I keep gushing over about the berserkers, but. Uh, the plus one movement, if you add it to the Berserker, is already uh, pretty impressive, like a, a four movement. If you, um, so if it becomes five movements, what you can do is to move in, um, pillage, which takes three movement points, and then attack using the last uh, movement point. So it's, uh, uh, basically they don't die. They kind of don't die. So a lot of things that you can uh, simply abuse by having uh, increased uh, uh, movement speed. And uh, you, uh, that's especially holds true with uh, Grand Columbia, which you have that as default. Like, I don't, I don't know what uh, the devs were thinking when they designed Grand Columbia. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to bring up Grand Columbia because that's one of those things that you've got the commandant that go along with everything else that are even better than the normal great generals and they have the plus one movement and then they have their special unit on top of that and it's like you just run over things so fast and even when it's the even the ai can take advantage of that i remember when they were first announced and we saw previews of their abilities everyone was thinking like my goodness any one of these abilities <laughs> would be like a great ability for a domination focused civ and they get like all three or four of these things stacked on top of each other. Like, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. Which is why when you see them as an opponent in the game, kill them now. I mean, the thing is, like, you can also stack the Great General on top of the Commandante General. So you're essentially moving around with plus two movement and plus ten commissar for the entirety of the game. 
is that still in the game? I thought that was patched out. No, it's still there. Oh, is it? Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's uh, as I it, it trivializes the game. Yeah, it's I, a feature. It's a feature. I, I don't know what people were thinking. And, uh, yeah, they were probably thinking if people don't like this, they can turn it off. Uh, how? By uh, how? by uh, <laughs> removing the DLC from the list of uh, things that are active in the the mod mod manager thing in the main menu. You turn off New Frontier Pass specifically? You can turn off any individual DLC. Okay, yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, they all show up as, essentially as a mod in the game's, um, uh, what, what's it, what's the content? It's like uh, the content manager or the... Yeah, yeah the addition of content. I, I don't really play with mods, so I, I would not know. I, I'm, yeah. I only play with the mod that doubles the natural wonders, because I hate ugly, bland uh, worlds. Ah, uh, I see. So I, I'm assuming you like to preserve the nature instead of uh, what I do with the Magnus Chops. I don't play for Domination Victory that much at all, uh, actually. I see. Yeah, so. But I can recognize it as a legitimate strategy. Yeah. Canis is a builder, not a destroyer. Ah, uh, well... So um, yeah, I did. So I I wasn't sure when to introduce myself, but so I um, I during the day I am a MD, and my name is Civ MD because I'm an MD who likes to play Civ. So how I like to think about it is I like try to save lives during the day and take a, take them away at night, <laughs> like freaking Thanos, a soul for a soul. Get home, log into the computer. All right, time to do my snap for the day. Uh, no, it's it helps me. It, it you know like just you know rushing down and just like uh, you know letting your empire to probably just watching that is a great you know really stress reliever. Uh, but uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, the um, Magnus chops. Yeah, that's the important part. That's important. Everybody knows about it. But uh, toward the Magnus is the most important thing. And it's a, it's a little bit sad because. Uh, Ultimately, uh, with the second expansion pack, they gave us so many choices in terms of what kind of like governments you can, uh, governors you can put in. But uh, there's only really a few realistic choices, and in most cases, Magnus is the right answer. So, which is uh, which is a little bit sad. It would have been it would have been nicer if it's a little bit more balanced. But then again, um, what uh, what can you do? Just, what uh, what could you give another governor that would equal Magnus? Yeah, uh, that's. Yeah, um, that's a uh, that's a good point. Do you like, for example, do we give Liang like gives like two more like a uh, um, charges for workers maybe? Uh, because that would be like so like mathematically speaking, let's say you chop down, um, you give the ability to chop for more production uh, by using a worker chop and uh, with Magnus. And uh, let's say then one worker, if it's uh, if it would normally provide two hundred by chopping, you're actually providing like three hundred now. So that's the one hundred uh, difference with one worker. It is worth so, pointing out though that um, Liang and Magnus do go very well together because you can have one city with Liang pumping out those yeah. builders and then sending them over to the city with Magnus to do all that chopping with uh, extra um, uh, actions. So you're saying that it'll just make Magnus stronger, basically. 
Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's a, it's, oh. it's a loop. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, then maybe uh, find a different one. Like, find a different one. Maybe, like, give the, uh, what's his face? The, the, the general guy? Maybe, like, a, a, like a faster ability to produce units? Yeah, Victor. That's his name. Maybe give him a faster ability to produce units, maybe? I, I mean, in Civ Six, production is king. I don't think there's much you can do to the other uh, um, governors that yeah. would put bring them up to Magnus's level, uh, other than giving them production bonuses as well. Uh, I mean, or nerf Magnus. Yeah, or yeah, I was about to say, or the other way around is is you nerf Magnus somehow. I don't know. Maybe his maybe the amount of production that you gain scales up over the course of the game. So at the beginning of the game, it's not as strong, and then later in the game, it's a little bit stronger. So he's not like the obvious go to first governor. I'm offended maybe. by nerfs. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's always it's always problematic when you when the only way to fix something is to hit something with a nerf bat. Well. um... Uh, Don't it's not going to happen. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, at this point, it's unlikely any, anything is going to change. So, right conversation. Yeah. However, yeah, that that should yeah, that should be taken in mind, especially when you decide to make a conscious design choice in uh, to increase production so much throughout the ages. Uh, the production costs so much throughout the ages that's like a you're absolutely completely dependent on the production, and every production of whatever you make has a snowball effect. So. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, it, that that should be taken into account in terms of uh, Civ Seven, maybe. I, I don't know. That's one of the things. But um, the uh, at at this point, uh, the Magnus chop is king, and uh, you um, chop out all of your units uh, so that you can be ready to roll over your opponents. And uh, I. Uh, a lot of the times when you go on to, like, not necessarily fanatics, but, like, when you go on to Reddit, and uh, when you look at some uh, people asking about, like, when to settle and where to settle, this holds true for everything, I, I'm sure you know, but uh, you, it's like a, you need to think about what's the pros and cons of getting a new settler. Like, whether it's a domination game or a culture game or whatever it is. You, uh, if you're going to settle, you want to settle... Um, at a place that you're going to get even more production. It's it's uh, it's all about the snowball, right? So if you get a settler, you have to settle. You want to settle near where you can get even more chops, and uh, that's the conscious decision. Because otherwise, in most cases, you just uh, uh, getting more units are better. So oftentimes, when you do these kinds of like domination games, you would only uh, you you only realistically need two or three. Uh, like a settlers, and that's actually also like a, a new trap I uh, see very often. You focus on like building your city or settling too much because you're um, you're told that you you're supposed to settle uh, a lot, and then you miss the timing to like uh, get a, a ton of units. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's the other like important part in the I think in the general uh, in the general strategy when you're trying to do. Um, a, a, Domination victory, but really any kind of victory, really. Some victories require more cities, but yeah. I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, I, I, I understand people who like to build, but why build what you can take? Oh, you definitely take. I do like to yeah. build, but I also do like to take when they get in my way. Ah, That's certainly Phil's philosophy. <laughs> ah. I'm not, I'm not a pacifist. Ah, I see. 
I see. Then I agree with you. I'm not you're, a full. I'm not a full-on dominationist, but a or domination seeker. But I'm not, no, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I do like if if there are AIs that are close to me that are being obnoxious, I will kill them. So you're you're truly a great who actually built their empires and also was a good conqueror. And I'm more of a uh, Ivan deterred. Uh oh, did we lose connection? No, nobody was saying anything. Ah, okay. Awkward silence stepped in for a minute. We haven't and heard from uh, we haven't heard from them in years. Go ahead, whoever was going to talk. Uh, do, do you guys cut these kinds of stuff like uh, these moments out? Uh, the only thing that I cut out is uh, long silences and things like that, and I do it using the truncate audio function. Uh-huh. So anything you say will be heard. That's a problem. Uh oh. Have you said something <laughs> secret? Uh, no, I didn't say anything secret. Uh, I, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if I'm, um, if I'm, uh, kosher or 100% of the time. You did warn that this is a, um, family, family a, friendly show. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's, uh, that's always a challenge with me. It's a challenge for a lot of eh. people. Join the club. Which club? The, it's a challenge to stay family friendly club. Ah, yes. I have to bite the do the tongue-in-cheek thing a number of times, because, oh, there's so many things I want to say, but it's a family-friendly show. So, what else? I mean, um, people, people, um, I don't know if anybody actually went through the uh, specific strategies that um, I wrote. I made it down to Montezuma. Yeah. So I read a lot of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Montezuma, so there's a couple... I would say there's a couple civilizations that uh, that don't really like that that are singular in terms of their strategy. Obviously, Basil is uh, very very different from everybody else, but the Montezuma is also very different because you're um, you're really farming. You're really trying to farm as many um, workers as possible, right? So. I, I think uh, that's that's one of the things that uh, I also see when you when you try to play Montezuma, you want to get get them to come to you, really. So if you go out and try to attack somebody, and then you get a worker, then you have to bring back the worker, right? The better one, way to do it is um, you just you just uh, declare war on them, or if they have some unit next to you, whether it's a city-state or a, like a neighboring civ, you just attack them. So the, like the, the new worker doesn't have to travel all the way back. And then when you aggro them, they will start sending in their waves of you know, tributes, really. And uh, the inst- uh, so the, the plan for Montezuma really deviates a lot from the, um, everybody else. Um, where, like, everybody else with the game plans usually, okay, where's the horses? Okay, where's the iron? Okay, I developed them. I got my great general. Um, uh, let's chop out some, um, um, uh, sourcemen and the uh, horsemen and the, uh, uh, siege units, and then, uh, let's roll over. But, uh, uh th- there's, there's a couple ones that completely deviated, and, and I, uh, and I personally love how, uh, Montezuma works. Uh, I think you had mentioned before that, um, Religion and uh, work ethic is very powerful for domination, but I don't think you went into much detail um, explaining how all that works. Is that something you want to maybe elaborate on a little more? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the uh, uh, that's the other thing. 
So I've seen a lot of, um, there's some uh, YouTube videos about how to pull this off, but uh, there's some of the, uh, some things that uh, uh, people don't do it uh, like uh, optimally. So I think this might be a good chance to go over it. But uh, again, as you said, the production is king, right? So you, what you want to, so you want to use Worthex to your be uh, best ability. So you're trying to get a good adjacency bonus and try to hit theology as soon as possible to double that, and every, that uh, production goes into every um, uh, goes into every city. At the same time, in order to further augment that, instead of wasting your time actually building, like making builders, uh, if you hit the monumentality bonus, you can just uh, fate purchase uh, builders. So this is. Uh, this is a really, like, it almost basically doubles your production because your faith itself becomes, so the, your faith income, um, the amount of faith you're actually getting that stockpiles into your faith, uh, you know, uh, bank, that becomes your workers. Whereas the adjacency bonus itself is also directly production. So that goes into units. So you're basically just getting Free work, uh, free workers without the cost of anything, while you maintain the ability just to pump out whatever units you want. So that's why uh, this, uh, if you pull this off correctly, this is um, just so good. Even with like um, civilizations like Mali, if you do the work ethic strategy, the the penalty to production actually doesn't even matter anymore. It's uh, really that good. You so. So I um I think I wrote this in um gory detail here. So it's actually the general strategy part two uh part here. But uh it's most important to yeah, get the religion first in order to even make this work. Um so that the people so you can't play basil if you don't have if you didn't get the religion, right? And uh, if you, um, for Peter or whatever else, and uh, the AI, as you know, are going to rush towards like trying to get their religion as much as possible so that you can't have any fun. So um, oftentimes it's almost necessary to get, uh, run a few holy site uh, uh, projects so that you can uh, recruit that uh, 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 great prophet. And I'm not sure if you have any, if, um, um, if anybody has any problem with that, but I often see people don't doing that. As long as you can defend yourself, uh, just going from one or two holy site uh, like, um, projects is actually beneficial. Because the earlier you get your religion and secure work ethics, the, the faster production spike you will have. And uh, if you have that uh, bonus, let's say six to eight uh, production in the early game. You can pump out your settlers even faster. So, and then that's where the like the entire chain starts. And then get theology and win. Basically, and then um, we, before you. Uh, but the the other thing is, so you are. You, it also you need to get the monumentality bonus, right? So it's really the one end is getting a religion and securing work ethics, and the other end is to get monumentality. And the easiest way to do it is uh, the medieval era golden age is the most, I would say, reliable because you can. So the the 
the Exodus of the Evangelist dedication is probably the easiest one to use. Because honestly, uh, that's also a little bit uh, rather unbalanced, I would say. The dedications that you get. Because everything else you need to build, let's say, in order to get a Golden Age point, you need to build a library. So if you want to build a library, that means that you have to build a campus and then a library. Whereas, um, and that's like, uh, that's only one city. And that uh, you can only do that for your own city. So you need to have cities in the first place. Whereas Exodus and the Evangelists give you two golden air points. And then as long as you have one missionary, you can probably convert two or three cities. And then it doesn't, it's not limited to your own cities. You can, uh, you can spread it to city-states or your the other people's cities. So it's so much easier to get a, uh, a golden age from Exodus of Evangelists and, uh, compared to any other dedication. And uh, the, so medieval era is the, the much more reliable in terms of getting a monument uh, it's a golden age rather than a classical age. Because uh, you're, when the classical age has you choose the dedication, and then you pump out missionaries, you convert everybody, and then you get the monumentality. Um, um, and then you get the Golden Age in the medieval era, you choose monumentality, uh, you uh, fate purchase even more workers, and then you chop down all of your armies, and then upgrade all of them, and then roll over. And you win. But I thought you were supposed to build the classical era units, but you have to wait until the you, medieval era to do that? No, you can you do it as you're going. Ah, but okay. the thing is, and then you deliberately hold off on unlocking your medieval era unit. You see what I mean? Yes. So yes. when you have a lot of workers, and so you deliberately hold off from actually getting um, the men at arms. You just uh, you like you have one turn left until uh, the men at arms, and you just uh, uh, chop out all of your swordsmen and then upgrade all at the same time. Yeah, strategic ignorance is what I like to call that. Yes. I, I love how you, um, I love how you phrase that. The um, uh, you, you, and uh, this stick uh, is too sharp. All our scientists keep cutting themselves on it. We need to put this research on hold. Uh, same goes for the the, uh, the catapult and the if you uh, if you like um, heavy cavalry, uh, getting a few um, heavy chariots can uh, work as well. Well, speaking of that, I want to give a tangent is that uh, I have a little gripes about how um, in currently how useless kind of like getting heavy cavalry is at the moment because uh, in your in your general army makeup, you're going to like the melee units right now are going to be your main workhorses because they're the only ones uh, after Gathering Stone who can actually take down cities. Uh, with the help of sea uh, humans, and the light cavalry are like generally faster, so you can um, pillage things much better. And then rage units kill units, and sea units uh, take care of the city defenses. But I'm really not sure where heavy cavalry fits in in any of these, unless you have a really good replacement, like maybe the Tatma for the uh, for Basil. But uh, it, but there's really no role for it. And uh, that's, uh, I also have gripes about it, but uh, I don't know what that will, um, um, how, how one will actually be able to fix it. I usually use my heavy cavalry as defensive units. I'll station them in my, you know, cities 
And uh, if any barbarians or enemy units wander into my territory, then, you know, I use the relatively high combat strength and fast movement of the heavy cavalry to surround them and destroy them before they do any damage. Right. And uh, they do have really good combat strength. They do have co good combat strength. Use them as screens. You know, kill the enemy units first. Yep. And they are also good just in general on the offensive for, um, you know, using that extra movement bonus to surround and flank enemy units so that you get that um, the support bonuses. Even if you end up not attacking with them and you end up attacking with your melee units anyway, you get like that plus two, you know, combat strength or whatever from each uh, adjacent friendly unit. And that would include those heavy cavalry units, uh, which I think ignore zone of control, right? So, mm -hmm. so yes, they're very easy to get in behind or around enemy units uh, for support bonuses. But at the same time, you can by using light cavalry, you can compress the rolls of the pillager and the flanker. And also, the other issue is that there's no in-between unit between the heavy chariot and knights. And knights, uh, it's it's so. There's the, the, the power uh, spike really comes when you go from swordsmen to uh, men-at-arms, and uh, there's nothing that would really like uh, go along with it. You're not going to use your heavy chariots during that time. They only have three movement points. They're, they suck at that point. So. Well, they make nice statues on the borders. Sh sure. It was all I could come up with. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, I mean, nice circle, yes, nice circle, and they need to be cooler. I mean, that it's a, you know, I mean, in, I nothing about Civ is about like any any realism, right? But like a knights, like a, knights completely revolutionized how society works, right? It's uh, how like it's it's the centerpiece of feudalism, and uh, the fact that um, you hardly ever use knights on. Yeah, you should be, you should have a lot more knights and like just rolling around, but like uh, you never really have a reason to uh, like use a lot of them. It's a uh, it's a little bit uh, uh, it's it it could be it could be it, it'll feel nicer maybe uh, it, practically it doesn't make a difference probably not especially when you got your uh, great general and if you're playing go to Grand Colombia and uh, running around with uh, five uh, what uh, uh, five movement point melee units. Okay, so uh, do we want to go over the notable civilizations? Uh, we already talked about um, Montezuma. I see the longest one here is... Oh, wait, that's a poem. Why did you write a poem for Catherine the Black Queen? Writing so much prose. And I mean, look, it's, it's, it's France, right? And, uh, I like Le Mis. Well, it's definitely not uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I tried. It's, uh, I, I tried, and it actually makes, makes, makes sense, but you, you, you can see that this is, uh, this, uh, new lyrics for the, the song, right? Do you hear the people sing? Yes. So, um, we already talked about you liked, uh, you liked Norway, you liked Montezuma, uh, were there any other, uh, sieves in particular that you enjoy using for your domination strategies and that you recommend other people try out, especially if they're maybe underutilized ones? I mean, Hammurabi is not underutilized, but people like it is like, and then people are often confused in terms of how to use them, in terms of how to make an army around it. But uh, I, uh, I actually like this part about like how I broke it 
down, I would say, because it all depends on what initial uh, uh, resource you have. So it uh, depends on if you have iron, stone, or neither. And uh, I think it might be helpful, like if you um, if you look at that to um, come up with your initial strategy, because uh, at turn zero, if you see stones, then you already know that you're going to build a quarry and you'll be able to chop out a wall right away. So, and then that can you say that again, please? Yeah, so, you kind of trailed off there a bit. Okay. You so, chop a wall, and then you'll be able to get what? Catapults. There we go. Yeah. And then you get catapults, and then uh, you need the two crossbowmen to, but, uh, and then if you get two crossbowmen, you can unlock bomb birds. And uh, with the, if you build an aqua that, that will unlock nitro at the same time. So that's how you get bomb birds. So in order to get fast bomb birds, you need a quarry. So you can make the association between, okay, I have a stone, so I'm going to probably use bomb birds. And when we say fast bombards, I mean, we mean like really fast. Like we're talking like classical era bombards here, which is yes. uh, crazy strong. Yeah. But, uh, yes, it is. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the only problem is that your classical era generals are not going to be, uh, boost their speed. So your bombards will be probably pretty slow. Yeah, the biggest be... hang-up for, for Hammurabi and Babylon is uh, you run the severe risk of out-teching your production ability to actually produce these advanced units. Because once you unlock the advanced unit, you can't build the uh, older obsolete units unless you actually lack a resource that's required for building the more advanced unit. So if right. you have the, the resources to build a bombard, the game won't let you build a catapult. And a bombard's going to be... Gosh, I mean, how much more expensive is it? Probably three, four, five times as expensive. Right. It's incredible. In the early game, before you potentially even have industrial hubs unlocked, that's like a lot of, that's like a, a probably as much or more uh, production than you might spend on a contemporary wonder. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you also need gold. So Hammurabi like, needs a lot of gold in order to pull anything off. So I actually write it down for like our people um, in, in that uh, in the Hammurabi chapter exactly how much gold you need. So in order to get one bombard, you need to upgrade like you need to get two crossbowmen, right? So you'll upgrade them from archers. You're not building them from scratch. So that's uh, if you get two crossbowmen, that's five hundred gold. And then in order to upgrade a um, catapult into a bombard, that uh, takes a uh, three hundred thirty gold. So you need a uh, um, you need at least uh, 830 gold to have one bombard and another 330 per every bombard. So when you're building your classical era units, you already know you, should, you can actually calculate how much gold you're going to need at the end and then try to get that much gold as, like, uh, at any way possible. Pillage, pillage, like, uh, pillage. Or you can uh, you'll have to sell uh, sell your luxuries because you you don't want to sh- um, you're probably not attacking yet unless you have that um, advanced unit right so but obviously pillage yeah Take and uh, all the sheep from the enemy cows or the enemy uh, pens right the um, but I, I would say my favorite strategy is uh, pike and shots though the it's probably the pike and shots are probably uh, so Hammurabi is probably the only sip that actually non-ironically uses pike and shots well, because they don't require any resources, and you can get them 
without actually needing um, like a. There's nothing alongside the uh, tech tree to get to Python shots as Hammurabi that actually requires any resources. So you don't have iron, you don't have any stones, let's say. But as long as you have archers and spearmen, and then so you kill a unit with a spearman to unlock the pikemen, and then you get two crossbowmen to unlock uh, pike and shot with uh, unlocks together with bombards, right? Then your spearmen can go directly into pike and shots. It takes a lot of money, but this is the fastest. So um, if so, pike and shots and two crossbows it, it can be comically strong, especially when you pull it off at turn eighty. Gotta love uh, sticking a stick in somebody's chest and then blowing the rest of it open. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, is that and, what a pike uh, and shot actually does? I have no idea. Uh, pike and shots are actually uh, they are dual units. So half of the um, army are pikemen, and the half of the army are like a musket. So they like a switch between. Basically, when your um, your muskets are recharging, the, the pikemen uh, stays in front to like uh, protect them, and then when they're ready to shoot, the the pikemen. Um, uh, what you crouches down so that the uh, the uh, musket men at the back can shoot. That's Basically what the pike proto the prototype for line infantry. Except instead of the front line, just having more muskets, they had spears. Yeah, sort of like In the, fact, the Spanish tercio or the German lanzknecht. Yes, exactly, exactly. The yeah, I, I miss the having the tercio in the SF five. Um, they're not great, but the uh, uh, at least uh, it made me actually feel like uh, it, it feel like I'm actually playing the Spanish. But you can do that with Hammurabi, anyways. Uh, uh, more Spanish than the Spanish themselves. Um, the, the, so the other um, and the other one that uh, I think it's uh, very underutilized is either um, either Dido or um, out, uh, Poundmaker. That's uh, underutilized in terms of. Uh, uh, offensive uh, purposes because uh, people, especially with Poundmaker, people like sleep on how much money you can possibly save with them. Like, uh, if you use your trade routes well, then you are just getting free tiles, and then you have two, um, what do you call it? You, you have two trade routes, right? So you can get um, the double money. So that saves a lot of money, and then um, the tiles that you get are basically equivalent to chops. So you have more money, and you have more units. That's nice. And uh, I, the, I think um, people should use Poundmaker more. Very underappreciated. I use Poundmaker, but not for domination. He's one of my yeah, favorite leaders in the game. Yes, but uh, you should be using every Civ for domination. I don't think I've played a Domination Victory in uh, since before um, Gathering Storm. I see. So you will just like uh, if somebody's in your way, you will crush them, but you you won't like actually defeat all of them. No, it's it's usually okay. too much work to go and oh, they're all on the other continent and they're all a bunch of really weak enemies. I'm just gonna stay here and go to space. Uh -huh. That makes sense. That actually is uh, faster. <laughs> yeah, uh, time wise, yeah, it's probably faster it's just like uh i guess it's different personalities i just don't like uh, clicking next turn all the time oh, i just want to mm -hmm. i don't have to do that i have plenty of stuff to do in my own empire but i see yeah but you don't want to see all of the entire map turning into one same color not in civ other games maybe but not in civ okay 
I don't play Civ like to be optimal. I don't play Civ even to be good at it. I mostly just play Civ because it's relaxing and it's an environment I like. I see. Like I don't even play at high levels. I mostly just play like uh mentally I'm weaker than I used to be because of a disease and uh I can't think as hard as I used to, so I just like to relax when I play Civ. See. Well, um Nothing's, uh, let me tell you though, nothing's more relaxing than, uh, the, uh, the, uh, watching the other cities, uh, change colors. I'm just being contrary and I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's okay. <laughs> sometimes I go in there to conquer things, but sometimes I'm trying to play a more relaxing game like a science or a cultural, then somebody does something and I'm like, oh no, you didn't. You're turning into my color now. That's it. Yeah, I mean, why build wonders or districts or anything when you can just, you know, t- take them? Well, the or big t- reason is that the AI often puts them in stupid places, and I don't like where the AI put them. <laughs> cities or co- cities or wonders. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's one of the big things that often stops me from going on the uh, the domination path as opposed to the building my own dang cities path. Is I just don't like where the AI puts things. You can also burn your cities to the ground. That's true, but if there was a wonder in that city, then eh, I mean, a wonder that is not built in the image of me to glorify me is useless. <laughs> oh dear, I'm just playing the. Uh, you know, like, I write this there, but like when you play as Genghis Khan, you have to have the mindset of Genghis Khan. Oh yeah, I saw that in there about in terms of pillaging because I I forget that a lot of the time. I'm thinking more in terms of I'm going to take this city in a couple turns anyway. I don't want to have to spend all this time in you know, however many turns, even though it's only one turn per tile, but, you know, have a swarm of builders to rebuild everything. Like, eh, unless they're unhealthy, maybe I'll pillage then. But I know I should be. And if there's yeah. a, a better way to slow down the AI sometimes is just to run through and pillage all the crap. Pillage is so good, actually. So so you see these posts about uh fanatics where you win, like, you know, uh, turn 90 science victories. And, uh, like, how they do it is just, you know, take over, uh, the, give one of your cities that has, all, like, so many mines to the enemy, and then you attack it, pillage all the mines, make peace. <laughs> and then, uh, sorry, you take that city, you uh, fix all of the mines, and then give it to the enemy again, and then attack again, and then, like, pillage those mines again. That's how, yeah, that's, the, the, pillaging is so good. Guys, like you should, uh, like you should consider pillaging your own uh, minds from, uh, like, in your other games. And if memory serves, when the Civ uh, Six first came out, you could actually repair enemy improvements with your builders. <laughs> See, uh, I did which... it more back then because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you could still do that. You wouldn't even have to bother with capturing the silly city. You just pillage it, repair it, pillage it again, and launch your rocket ship in a thousand BC. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah. Uh, why, why, why do anything when you can pillage? Yeah, you, you know, like, my cat agrees. <laughs> you, you know, why, why do anything when you can just, like, uh, leech off from, like, free food and then just destroy everything in its path, right? You just uh, titled the episode. <laughs> what, what's the title? Why do anything when you can pillage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. Why do anything when you can pillage? And, uh, but yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much um, sums it up. I agree. 
just just pillage and uh, uh, be a uh, genocidal egomaniac uh, autocrat. I thought it was to be a crusader. Uh, that depends. I mean, as you know, like it can be. Uh, sometimes uh, crusades are just an excuse for the autocrat. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it is. Look the at third you. one. We don't talk about the third one. Uh huh. Yeah. Was it the fourth one? Sorry, it's the fourth one. It is the, the the cruel irony where like Basil is the most like the the most uh, the the greatest user of the Crusader strategy when Constantinople Constantinople was sacked during yeah. the Fourth Crusade. Bad form, Dondolo. Yeah, very very yeah, very bad form. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so just uh, you should consider consider um, destroying cities more. Uh, yeah, that's the message. Okay, uh, I think it's time for Mackie. Well, this has been episode 408 of Polycast. I'm Makalu, and with me today, Candace Albinus. I made it. It's good. Uh, I'm going to go collapse in about 5 to 20 minutes. <laughs> Mega Bears fan. And I have to run off to start setting up the house for my little boy's first birthday party. Can't believe Ooh. it's already a year. Congratulations. Congrats. Yes, well, congratulations to him for surviving for a year. Well done. <laughs> It's easier now than it used to be, yes. For sure. And our guest co-host today, SibMD. Hey, um, pillage more. <laughs> that is the takeaway from today, is pillage more, you're not pillaging enough. Yeah. And absolutely check out uh, his guide. Uh, it's posted on Civ Fanatics, and do not let its 28-page length deter you, because, like, the last 20 or so of those pages is Civ-specific stuff. So it's really, like, six pages of... Uh, general advice, and then 20 pages of Civ-specific advice. It's so. it's also written fairly well, so, you know, it's not a, a very dry writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to, like, uh, you just have to get to the poem part, uh, like the Black, uh, Black Queen Catherine poem part. Yeah, I liked that part. Oh, also, real quick, I don't know if this will make it into the actual episode or not, but we did get a comment on the live stream from uh, John Wearda saying, you guys make workdays so much better. Polycast for the win. Thumbs up. Okay. So you're welcome, John Wearda. And I hope you're enjoying the fact that we're actually getting our back catalog up onto the website now so that you actually can listen to it uh, during work instead it's, of just the live streams. It so. is no longer a back catalog. It is, in fact, all on the website now. Except awesome. for this episode. Yesterday or yesterday, we put up the last back episode. Awesome. So plenty for uh, you and all our other listeners to uh, listen to if you can't make it on the Saturday mornings or Saturday early afternoons, depending on your time zone. If you've never tried to edit a, an hour-long episode of audio while uh, doubled over from nausea due to COVID, let me tell you, it's quite a lot of fun. There are massive air quotes around fun. Yes. Well, your your work and dedication, Canis, is appreciated by our audience. Yeah, I hope so. At least I appreciate it. Thank you. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Clips, Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.